the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And here's the bottom line. Her worship brought joy and pleasure to the Lord because it was an unselfish act of worship. The disciples criticized her, and sometimes there'll be people who criticize you for your generosity towards the Lord, but that didn't deter Mary. And Jesus, in fact, he said, leave her alone. She's done a good deed for me. See, this is how God wants our worship to be, generous. He wants us to make him the object of unrestrained, generous love. Contrary to what many people think, God is most interested in our motives, not what we do. He doesn't just want us to pay him off. He is really interested in what we think and feel deep down in our hearts. You can do a lot for God, and even give a lot to God, and not be a generous person. God wants us to serve and to give out of a grateful heart. It seems like we are guilty of trying to reduce the cost of our worship to God. If it just took less time, or less effort, or even less money, we would probably be happy. And then somebody comes along and pours out a whole container of expensive perfume on Jesus' dirty feet. There is no room for a study of cost-effectiveness. It is all about the heart of the person who gave it and the worthiness of the person to whom it is given. That is the example that Scripture gives us to follow. You're listening to Verse by Verse Radio today. This is the final message in a wonderful series on worship. If you didn't get to listen to all of the messages, you can hear them, download them, or order the whole set on our website or by phone. We'll tell you more about that at the close of today's message. But right now, here's Pastor Steve. Let's begin at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul says God is to be praised, God is to be blessed. It literally means God is to be spoken well of. It's like uh, the word we have uh, to eulogize someone. He says, blessed be God for what he's done for us, all the blessings we have in salvation. And then he begins to name some of them. Just as he, first of all, he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We were chosen. We didn't choose him. He chose us. That we would be holy and blameless before him. God ultimately will make us holy and blameless. And even now in his sight we are. In love he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And then Paul says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Why has God done this? Why has God chosen us? Why has God put us in his family? Why has God made us holy and blameless and predestined us to be his adopted children that we might praise the glory of his grace? That we may say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing this. I worship you. I praise you. But he's not finished. Verse 7, in him, meaning Christ, the beloved one, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That means he's forgiven us of all sins, according to the riches of his grace. How rich is his grace? It's incredible. 
He says in verse 8, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Himself. God has been so kind. God's intentions towards His people are kind with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him we also have obtained an inheritance. We have an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His good will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be, what? To the praise of His glory when we recognize how kind God has been, how, how His purposes and counsels will all come to pass. He says, to the praise of, the, of His glory. And notice verse 13, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed uh, in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The moment you trusted Christ, God sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You're his own for all of eternity. That is a mark that says that you belong to him. You are secure. But he says more about the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit doesn't just seal us, God doesn't seal us alone with the Spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit is his down payment. It's the pledge that there's more to come. If you think this is great, you haven't seen anything yet. And then Paul concludes probably by taking a breath of air. He says, to the praise of his glory. Three times Paul says we praise God because of this great salvation. You see, the more you discover and understand what Christ has done for you in salvation, the more you will be thankful. And the more thankful you are, the more you will worship Him because the natural expression of thankfulness is worshiping God. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the, the opening message on worship looked at that verse where Paul says, I urge you, brethren, based on God's mercies to you, that you present yourselves a, a living sacrifice to Him holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. In other words, now that you know how kind God has been to you, what more can you do but give Him your life? That's thankfulness. But those who are not thankful, they never worship the Lord. I'd like you to look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, as we said a few weeks ago, reveals to us that ancient man, though he, he knew about God through creation, through nature, turned away from God, rejected the light. But there's something more to it than that, and it's the same dilemma that modern man has. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, perhaps the most important verse in this chapter is an overlooked verse. In verse 21, Paul, Paul really tells us why man turns away. Have you ever wondered that? Why did man turn away? And why does he continue to? Verse 21, for even though they knew God, meaning they knew about God, they had some knowledge of God, the heavens declare the glory of God, they knew about God, they did not honor him as God, which means they didn't glorify him or give thanks. They didn't worship God. They refused to worship God because they refused to give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. 
Their lack of thanksgiving led to idolatry. They refused to humble their proud hearts and say, we give God glory and we thank him for what he's given us. Instead, they became self-sufficient, independent, and their foolish heart was darkened, and they began to worship creatures rather than the Creator. So if you're having a problem with worshiping God, then it probably stems, probably stems from an ungrateful heart. You need to cultivate a grateful heart. We all do. None of us have perfect, uh, a perfectly grateful heart. We're all developing in this area, but some have developed a little bit more than others. How do you cultivate a heart of thanksgiving? Let me give you some suggestions. First of all, you begin to meditate on what Christ has done for you in your salvation. You see, most of us think only about our problems. During the day, we think only about our problems, only about our difficulties, and we need to to discipline our minds to think in those moments where we don't have to concentrate on on work-related issues or on other things. We need to really meditate and think about our salvation. What has Christ done for you? Have you ever just thanked Him for the forgiveness of sins? Do you wake up in the morning and and thank him that you are a saved individual, that Christ has revealed himself to you? Do you thank him that he's with you wherever you go? Do you thank him for all that he's done for you? That's, That's really what's necessary. That's worship. Thanksgiving is really worship, and it leads to greater worship. So meditate on what Christ has done for you, and, and you will have a thankful heart. Let your, let your thanksgiving rise to him in worship. Secondly, begin to, to think differently about your trials and your problems. How? By recognizing that God is both sovereign and loving. When, when I say sovereign, that means he is in total control. Nothing happens by accident in your life. Whatever happens in your life, he has, he has approved of it, and he has sent it into your life and allowed it to come into your life, and he is loving. Whatever he approves of to come into your life, it's not to harm you, it's to help you. He is sovereign, and he is is loving, and he is using all things, Romans 8.28 tells us, he is using all things, both the good and the bad, to develop you spiritually and to make you like Christ. That's what Romans 8.29 goes on to say, conforms us to the image of Christ. So with this in mind, you need to begin to discipline your mind to think about the good he's doing for you. What's he doing for you in terms of character development? Rather than focusing on your problems and difficulties, you need to consciously start thanking him for all things. Your difficult marriage. Yes, give him thanks for that because God is using that to make you more like Christ. Those financial problems, you need to thank him for that. Have you thanked him for the NASDAQ and what's happening there? I'm very serious about that because when our security is in the stock market or in our bank account, we don't trust the Lord as much. What a glorious position to be in, to thank God for all of that. He's in control. We need to thank him for that serious health problem you face, difficulties with with children and and conflicts. God is using all of that to make us more like Christ. And the more thankful you are, the more passionate you'll be in your worship. Thanksgiving, a grateful heart. And and that's what Mary illustrates to us. 
Her example reveals that love that rises up to God in worship is characterized by gratitude. But secondly, love that rises up to God in worship is characterized by generosity. Generosity. Now, you would think that after witnessing Mary's display of love and devotion expressed to the Lord Jesus, that the Lord's disciples would have been pleased with her, that they would have thought, oh, good, finally Mary's got it. We've been following him for three years, and we know what it's like to love him, but we're not sure about these others. But finally, Mary's got it, but that wasn't their response. It says, as we look at Mark 14 again, verses 4 and 5, but some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. Instead of commending her, they criticized her, and Mark tells us they even scolded her for wasting this expensive perfume. They felt that this expensive perfume should have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. Now, I think they, they for the most part, had, had good motives. We're told in John's Gospel that Judas was the one who led in this, and he was in charge of the treasury, and he was a thief, the Bible says. He kept stealing from the treasury, so Judas did not have the best motives. But I want you to know, the others just thought, yeah, what a waste. Why would you do this? In fact, that even tells us how expensive the perfume was, over 300 denarii, and you know how expensive denarii are. Well, let me just tell you, because you don't know unless you studied this. A denarii was basically a, a day's wage for a common laborer. So over 300 denarii is, is in, in essence, um, about a year's salary's worth. That's a lot of money. But Mary... Gave it, and this perfume. Why was it so expensive? Because it was derived from pure nard, which was an aromatic herb grown in the Himalayas. Between Himalayas are between uh, China and India, what we call now Tibet, and it was carried by camelback through miles of mountain passes. So it was um, imported. It was expensive. It was rare. Now imagine the scene that was taking place in Simon's home. Mary's heart is just overflowing with love and gratitude towards the Lord. She comes behind Jesus. She breaks open this jar, starts pouring the sweet-smelling ointments over Jesus, starts with his head, then it would run down his neck and, and onto his shoulders and then onto his feet, although we're told that she also directly puts some on his feet. And then Mary stoops and, and lowers her hair in the presence of men and, uh, and, and humiliates herself by wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. I told you that lowering a, a woman's hair in, in public was a sign of a, of a woman with loose morals, but Mary isn't a loose woman. She's just overwhelmed with love for Jesus, and so she shows no restraint in her expression of it. Why? Because true worship of God is like that. It's generous. It, it, there's a generosity involved that uh, just expresses love to God and uh, gratitude to Him. Devotion and worship of Christ, I want you to know, is, is generous. It holds back nothing. It shows no restraint. Nothing is too good or expensive that it can't be given to Jesus in worship. See, Mary didn't sit down and calculate how much this was going to cost her. For all we know, this might have been her, her life savings, might have been her retirement fund, might have been her financial security. But she didn't measure out a tithe of the perfume. She just gave her all to Jesus, her best. 
her most prized possession. Someone has said this, love is not love if it nicely calculates the cost. It gives its all, and its only regret is that it doesn't have more to give. What a great statement. That, that's the way worship is, folks. And, and here's the bottom line. Her worship brought joy and pleasure to the Lord because it was an unselfish act of worship. And the disciples criticized her, and sometimes there'll be people who criticize you for your generosity towards the Lord, but that didn't deter Mary. And Jesus, in fact, he said, leave her alone. She's done a good deed for me. See, this is how God wants our worship to be, generous. He wants us to make him the object of unrestrained, generous love. I want to ask you some questions. Have you ever worshipped the Lord this way? And I'm not talking about just the amount of money that you give to the Lord. But I'm talking about giving him something that is costly and valuable to you. Perhaps saying, Lord, here's my car. Use it for your glory. Not, not just for, for me, but for your glory. Lord, here's my home. I, I want you to have it to demonstrate loving hospitality to others. Lord, here, here are my children. You've given these children to me, but I give them back to you. I worship you. I give them to you. Lord, may they grow up to serve you and even go to the mission field. They're yours. Lord, here are my talents. Here are my abilities. They're, they're not much, but they're yours. Here's my life, Lord. It's the most costly thing I have. You see, worship involves giving Jesus the best that you have. Why? Because he's worth it. He's worth it. And the issue, as I said, is not the monetary value of what you give him, but that it costs you personally. Remember the story, uh, and it's actually told just two chapters prior to this in Mark's Gospel, about the very poor woman who Jesus commended. It was a poor widow. Jesus sat one day watching the, the people put uh, their money in the, in the treasury at the temple. And he saw there was a poor widow who put in just a couple of coins worth, it'd be less than a penny today. She put that in there. But he also saw wealthy people come by, and they put in a lot of money. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you see that woman? She put in more than the wealthy people. Than all the wealthy people combined, she put in more. Why? He said, because she gave, she gave out of her poverty, but they gave out of their surplus. It didn't mean that much to them. They have plenty more where that came from. But she doesn't have any more. She really worshipped. So the issue isn't monetary value, but whether you love the Lord enough to give him your best. Worship, worship ought to cost us. It isn't cheap. It ought to cost us in terms of sacrifice and generosity. But there are some Christians who have never really been sacrificial and generous in their worship. And you know what? God rebukes them. How do we know that? Because there is an incident in the Old Testament where God rebuked Jewish priests for their cheap worship. And I'd like you to turn there, and you'll be able to find it quickly. It's Malachi chapter 1. Why can you find it quickly? Because Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It is just before the uh, Gospel of Matthew. Malachi is not only at the end of the, of the uh, Old Testament books, but it is towards the end of that era. And God gives a stunning rebuke to these priests in their sacrifice, in their worship. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. 
God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Here's how God is going to answer. God says, you've despised me. You've not worshipped me. You've despised me. Here's the answer. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you in, in that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised? But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? What is God saying here? He's saying that when, when he established the sacrificial laws, he said, bring me the best animals. Bring me unblemished animals. Bring me the lambs that, that were perfect in appearance. But these priests were bringing him blind and crippled and diseased animals. In fact, in verse 13, it says that they stole them. It didn't even cost them anything. And God says, I, I don't want it. In fact, would your governor take this? Would you give it to your governor? Why do you think you can give it to me? God rebuked them. They didn't offer God their best. And God despised their worship. You know why? Because it wasn't worship. It was just pretending to worship. Our worship ought to cost us something, and, and I, I, I don't think there's, it's been put any better than the way King David put it. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, you don't need to turn there, but just remember this. 2 Samuel 24, 24, the story is David wants to, to buy this, this area, this area that will eventually become the temple area. It's Mount Moriah. This man said, I want to give it to you. Take it. It's yours. And David says in verse 24, However, the king said to Aaronai, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David just refused to worship God in a cheap manner because he understood that love that rises up to God must be expressed sacrificially and generously. Amen. Our God is worthy of the best that we have to offer him. And that's how Mary of Bethany worshipped the Lord, and, and Jesus commended her for it. And in fact, without realizing it, Jesus said, she's done a good deed because she's anointed my body for burial. She, she, and I don't think she realized it. I don't think she understood what she had done. I think she was just worshipping the Lord. But in a matter of days, he would be crucified and buried rise again. It's now 2,000 years later. We don't do anything to anticipate the Lord's death. What we do is we look back at his death in response to what he's done for us. We worship him. Jesus said that wherever the gospels preach, what this woman has done is to be remembered as, a, as an illustration of worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus said that we're to remember him and his work on the cross. It's important to remember Mary, but it is also critically important to remember that Jesus has died for us and we are to worship him. I want to read to you verses 23 through 26 and then comment on it, and then verses 27 through 32. Jesus said in 1 Corinthians 11, listen closely, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the night, or, or that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he, he comes. So Jesus very clearly explained that, that we are to remember his death by these elements. These elements remind us the bread and the, and the cup are symbols. They remind us that, that Christ gave his, his body and Christ shed his blood for us. That's, that's what we're doing. We're remembering him. Jesus Christ is worthy of the best we have to offer in our worship. Even more, he deserves our everything, our all. It's not even possible to say about our service or our worship or our giving that it is just too costly. That would be going too far. Loving God has cost many Christians their lives, other Christians their wealth, their health, sometimes even their family. How can we give something to God that costs us little or nothing and call it true worship? This has been an amazing series by Pastor Steve on worship. I hope you have been able to hear all of the messages in this series. If not, they are available at versebyverseradio.org or you can call us at 727-239-0306 and request that they be sent to you. You can sign up for our Verse by Verse newsletter on the website as well. There are several ways you can donate to this ministry and help us stay in the air. It is even possible now to give online. We'll be back next time with a brand new series of messages. You don't want to miss it. It's so important to study the Word of God in a clear and systematic way. Thanks for taking the time to listen with us. For Pastor Steve and the Verse by Verse team, this is Jerry Pruden inviting you to listen in again here on Verse by Verse. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.